I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to be looking specifically at verses 11 through 16, but I'm going to back up and start again with verse 7 of Ephesians 4. We looked at this passage last week, and we talked about the fact that that there are uh, spiritual gifts given to the church, and that everyone who is a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ has been given a spiritual gift. Let's pick up the reading now. In God's word, his holy, inspired, and inerrant word, Ephesians 4, 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, for whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. May God bless the reading and hearing of his holy word. It's good sometimes to stop and reflect upon why we do the things that we do. Uh, Being a a southern church uh, in a culture that uh, largely attends church, though becoming less uh, prevalent in our day and time, uh, we often... Uh, just do things out of habit or because it's the way that we've always done or we do them because our parents make us come or it's just a habit that we have. But it's good to stop and reflect on why do we do what we do. And I especially want to focus today on why do we need pastors? Why, why do we gather together on Sunday morning and hear someone preach a sermon? Uh, seems like such an outmoded, uh, outdated mode of communication when we have the internet now and television and we have all the technology at our disposal. Why preachers and preaching and pastors and church? Well, this text that we have before us today helps us understand why we do what we do. And I hope to encourage you in that this morning. But let's back up. The first thought of this section of Scripture that we've read uh, affirms in verses 7 and 8 that every Christian has been graciously given a spiritual gift. Jesus is compared to a conquering king who has won a war and upon ascending to the throne, he distributes the spoils of victory to his subjects. That's the image that, that Paul uses here from Psalm 68. The spoils of victory that this king distributes are these spiritual gifts. And these various gifts are skills, they're talents, abilities, services which can be rendered, and works which can be accomplished through the people who receive them. Christ has supplied his church 
with everything it needs to flourish, to grow, and become strong. Last school term, my wife, who is a fourth grade teacher, uh, her class learned about jobs that people had in American colonial towns. So they learned uh, about uh, blacksmiths and carpenters and coopers and coppersmiths and glass blowers, uh, all these different jobs that they did back in the day. And in a town, uh, those jobs had to exist and someone had to fulfill those roles for the town to flourish. You had to have someone who could shoe your horse, and you had to have someone who could build a wagon wheel so you could have a wagon, and you had to have farmers so you could have food. They didn't have grocery stores back in those days. So a fully functioning town would have uh, all these different jobs uh, fulfilled, and the same is true in the church. A fully functioning church needs people to fulfill many varied roles so that it can be a strong, healthy optimally functioning church. Now some roles may be more prominent, uh, but all the parts are important. That's the point that Paul makes here and elsewhere, places like Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12. He compares the church to the body of Christ. And for a body to function optimally, you have to have arms and legs that work, you have to have eyes and ears that work, a mouth that works, all the different parts. They're different, but every part is important. Now, every Christian here today has been given a gift, has been given a, a talent, an ability, a service it can, they can render. But I want you to remember that the gift was not given to you, but to the church. The gift aspect of this is that you have been given a talent and a, an aptitude, a skill, for the benefit of the church. Christ has not given you a gift like it was a Christmas present, for you to uh, alone open and enjoy. You know, I, I received uh, uh, for Christmas this year a speaker that I can plug into my computer and listen to music, or I can use my phone and connect wirelessly and play the music that's on there, and I really enjoy that. But I didn't get the speaker just for me. It was a, it was a family gift. But I have to dominate because my music is better than the kids' music. But sometimes they, they're allowed to play their, their music on there. Gifts are similar. You know, we are given a gift, but it's to share. It, it's for the benefit of everyone. I've been given the, the gift of preaching, not for my own benefit. That gift is yours. And I'm not sure to congratulate you or to give you condolences for that, which would be more appropriate. But Christ is gracious in that he has provided every necessity the church has. We, we have people sitting here who can do everything we need to do to be a fully functioning church. God will not allow us uh, to, to, to be a church without providing everything that we need to be healthy. In fact, he, he wants us to be healthy. So he's given people to fulfill all the, the varied and different roles in the church. And that brings us to our text today. In verse 11, Paul narrows his focus to a certain group of individuals within the church who have particular gifts for leadership and teaching. He mentions the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. And I would paraphrase Paul's words in verses 7 through 12 like this. When Christ ascended to heaven, he sent the Holy Spirit to empower all believers in the church 
with the abilities needed to build up the body and make it healthy. And to certain individuals, he gave teaching and leadership skills so that the believers in the church would be equipped to use their abilities to minister so the body would be built up. So see, the ministry of the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds or pastors and teachers is a catalyst for the growth of the church. When these individuals, the apostles, prophets, so forth, did their jobs and do their jobs, the church gets equipped to function properly, to use their gifts so that the church can function and grow. Well, let's take a closer look, a more detailed look at some of the details. I'm answering a few questions here today, and I've given an outline that has those questions. Who are these equippers of the saints? Uh, How do they equip the saints? And why must the saints be equipped? Who are these equippers of the saints? Paul singles out apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. All these people, as I've noted before, had something in common. They all had a teaching function. Apostles are the ones he mentions first. The apostles consisted of the twelve disciples minus Judas with the addition of Matthias, who was elected to replace Judas, plus the Apostle Paul. Some people might include a couple of other people in there, but certainly these 13 men. The criterion to be an apostle was that they had to be eyewitnesses, physical eyewitnesses of the resurrected Christ. Therefore, we believe that there are no apostles today. You turn on the TV late at night, and you might look at a religious channel, and there be some apostle so-and-so who's uh, preaching He's not a real apostle in the biblical sense of the word. It's just a title that they've attached to themselves. The office is closed, but these men continue to have effect because the apostles, people like like Matthew, uh, people like John and Paul and Peter, they wrote most of the New Testament. And so they continue to give witness to Christ's resurrection and the implications of his life and death and resurrection through the gospel that they have expounded for us in the Word. They were the first to proclaim the good news. We read about it in Acts chapter 2 and following. Uh, And and Paul says, if you want to back up to chapter 2, verse 19 through 20, he says to the Ephesians, you are members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So they were the first to proclaim the gospel, to, to put it out there, and the church was built up. You know, when the first time Peter preached a sermon, several thousand people joined the church on that day, and that continued to happen there at the beginning of the church. So the apostles are, uh, are part of the foundation. And that's why Paul mentions them here. They were given to the church so that it might be equipped. And he mentions prophets as well, often alongside of apostles and prophets. That uses that terminology. Uh, 2.20, we read, read that one. You also see it in verse uh, 5 of chapter 3 where he says apostles and prophets. Prophets were people who received direct revelation from God. They were God's mouthpieces. When God wanted to communicate a message to his people, uh, he would use prophets, people like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, etc., on into the New Testament era. So you see people like uh, Isaiah and Jeremiah making statements in, in their book uh, 
and prefacing those with, Thus saith the Lord. Now, these aren't my words, Isaiah is saying. This is what God has told me to tell you. I'm, I'm, his, I'm his messenger, I'm his mouthpiece. And so God communicated with his people through prophets. Now, this office is also closed since the Bible is complete. We have all God's revelation handed down to us and put in writing, codified for us, and it's contained in a book for us. So we don't have prophets in the big P sense of the word, at least. Uh, they were given to the church through it for a time to reveal God's will to us, and, and they still uh, serve that role. They equip us. We read the prophets, and uh, through God's word, they continue to equip us to serve the Lord. Thirdly, we come to evangelists. The term evangelist generally refers to someone who proclaims the gospel. That's what the word evangel means. Evangel is the, the uh, Greek word for gospel. Uh, it, can, it can refer generally to those who just proclaim the gospel, but I think here it's used for, for a specific group of people uh, in, the, in the Bible who were individuals who continued on the work of the, of the, of the disciples, the apostles. You have the word mentioned three times in the New Testament, evangelist. Once here in our text, and then once in reference to Philip, one of the, the original deacons. He was not an apostle, but he continued to uh, preach the gospel wherever he went, into Samaria, and uh, the famous episode with the Ethiopian eunuch that is recorded for us in the book of Acts. And you also have it in re reference to Timothy, Paul's protege, where Paul told him to do the work of an evangelist. In other words, preach the gospel. So evangelists were a group of people that continued the work of the apostles. And, you know, we can say we don't know whether this continues on. Our own denomination, the, the PCA, uses the term in reference to church planters. You know, when we go to Presbytery and we okay somebody to go and plant a church, we often give them, grant them the powers of an evangelist to go and preach the gospel even though they have no congregation, they have no session, no elders, no diaconate. We've, we've empowered them to go and get a church started. So evangelists, obviously people like Philip and Timothy and people who proclaim the gospel are helping equip us for the work of ministry. They're preaching the gospel and they continue to help us in that respect even if the office is closed in the sense that Paul's using it here. And then finally you get to one office that's certainly not closed, and that is the shepherd teachers. I'm taking them together because there's a different conjunction used, and I think Paul intends for them to be used together. You can separate them if you want. It still means the same thing. There are pastors, which is the same word for shepherd, and there are teachers. And, of course, every pastor has a teaching function and there, but there are people in the church who are teachers who are not pastors so I think Paul wants to use them together he's talking about uh, the ministry of the church specifically the pastors who have the function of preaching and teaching a a along with their pastoral duties now this of course is what I want to focus in on today the fact that what I'm doing here this morning uh, I'm supposed to be equipping you for the work of ministry. And that is the job of these people in these offices. So I want to ask you a question. Who is the minister of a church? And the word minister means server or helper. 
We often refer to the pastor of the church as the minister. But this passage before us would indicate something different, that actually every member of the body of Christ is a minister in the sense of a servant or a helper. Every member has a service to render and a help to give. And as verse 7 indicates, every member was given a gift in order to serve the body. As your pastor, I do have a ministry, and I am a minister. I am a servant. My service to you is supposed to be for me to teach you and preach to you so that you will be equipped so that in turn you can minister. That goal is for you to move into serving by using your gift to help the body so that the body of Christ might be built up. So we often say in our uh, churches that are conservative and Bible-believing churches that every member is a minister. And that's true. Every member is a servant, is a ministry, has a, a role to fill, a gift to use for the benefit of the church. And what Paul is saying here is that if we don't use our gifts, then the body's not going to be healthy and as strong as it should and could be. Too often the model of the church uh, is like the, the, uh, a bus. You know, uh, uh, you have the pastor who's the bus driver and everybody else is just along for the ride. You know, the pastor's actually, everybody's expecting him to do all the driving and the work and, and uh, to, get it, to get it done. Everybody else is kind of asleep in the back. And I remember being at an ordination service at a church uh, in a town where I served before, and uh, they had a new young pastor that was coming in, and they had a guest preacher come to preach the ordination sermon. And, and really, he was preaching to this young guy. And he read this particular passage that we have before us, but he, he said to the, to the young man, he, he exhorted him to do the work of the ministry. And I thought, that's not what this passage is saying. The pastor is not the one who is exhorted in this passage to do the work of the ministry. The church is to do the work of the ministry. The pastor needs to be exhorted to equip the church to do the work of the ministry. That would have been a more faithful rendering of the text. And, and I left that ordination service disappointed because I felt like they were, they were uh, just perpetuating that model of the pastor, you do all the work and we're going to sit back and let you feed us in, uh, while we get fat and happy. That's not the way God wants us to do. We are to be fed so that we can, so that we can do, so that we can serve the Lord. Well, how are we to do it? How, how are those who are in this position of shepherd-teacher to equip the, the saints? Primarily through preaching and teaching, and pastoring as well, but especially through preaching and teaching. And you see this throughout the New Testament. Uh, God could certainly, if he so desired, uh, deliver a Bible to someone and, and have them read it and transform their lives just through uh, the reading of God's Word. But God normally doesn't work that way. He normally works through the proclamation of His Word. You have, for example, in the New Testament, a man named Cornelius, a Gentile. He was the first uh, Gentile to, to uh, have the gospel preached to him. He, he received a vision and a visit from an angel, and the visit from the angel was saying, look, you need somebody to come along and teach you. And Peter was granted a vision to encourage him to go and meet Cornelius and 
preach to him. God could have bridged that gap and, and, and reached out to the Gentiles in other ways, but he chose to send an authorized instructor, Peter, to him. And we mentioned Philip earlier. You know, the Ethiopian eunuch, uh, he, was, he was working for the queen, his queen, and eunuchs often were put in that position uh, to work in, in the government because the queen was not under threat from a eunuch, if you know what I'm talking about. And so this eunuch had this privileged position, but he was also seeking God, and he had made a pilgrimage to the, to the temple. And you know what he found when he got there? That he was not allowed to come in. He's reading Isaiah, and, and uh, he's probably having some questions about that. Eunuchs were forbidden from entering into the temple. And he would have not received a welcome there, but here he is reading Isaiah, struggling with what it means. And, and the Holy Spirit directs Philip to approach him and to help him understand what he read there. And there is a wonderful passage, and, and he was probably reading it, that gives hope to the eunuch, that you will have a name, that, that God will bless you. And, that, uh, that, and he read from Isaiah 53 about the suffering servant, and he's, Philip is prompted by the Spirit to go and teach him and preach the gospel to him. God could have used the scroll without Philip's intervention, but Philip comes in and he teaches the man and the man is converted. So, since the dawn of the church, care has been taken that there should be a succession of qualified and authorized persons to transmit to the succeeding generations the knowledge of Christ and his gospel. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses in trust of faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So this teaching and preaching function is important in the church, important in that it equips everyone. If the ministerial office uh, ceased, the church would soon fall into decay. For though it is certain that the Scriptures are of themselves, when applied by the Holy Spirit to the soul, able to make men wise unto salvation, as it says in the Bible, it is also certain that the ministry of the Word is and ever has been the chief instrument which God uses for the conversion of the world, the proclamation of the world. When you come to church on Sunday morning or to Sunday school or to Bible studies, come to the preaching and teaching seeking to be equipped to serve. This is God's means through, uh, through which He equips us to be able to serve in the church so that the body of Christ might be built up. That's the point I want to make to you today as we think about what it is we're doing here. What is it that you're doing while I'm preaching to you? I, my job is to seek to preach in such a way that you are equipped. And if, and if you aren't equipped, then I'm failing to do that. I need to be careful. And I'm going to be thinking about that when I approach any text that I'm preaching to you. How can I equip these people to be uh, better servants of the Lord? So that's, that's the purpose behind it. We, we need this for our health, for the building up of the body of Christ so that we can all become equipped to serve. So there are a couple of reasons why we must be equipped. Just briefly, they're, they're pretty apparent. Growth. You'll notice there that the building up of the body of Christ that it says in verse 12 comes after for the work of ministry. The work of ministry that all the saints are involved in is what builds up the body of Christ. And it makes sense. If you have a, 
uh, congregation, an expression of the body of Christ, where you have people who are uh, showing hospitality, and you have people who are showing mercy, and people who are serving others, and, and people who are teaching and preaching, and helping with the children, and helping with the older people, and helping with the youth, and, and helping mow the grass, and helping keep up the building, and, and all the different things that, that are required. When, when you have everybody pitching in and doing that to the best of their ability, you're going to have a healthy and strong and growing church. And of course, that's what we want to happen. So it's for the building up of the body of Christ. It's through the work of the ministry done by the saints. And he goes on in verse 13 to further describe that until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Back to unity. Remember in verses 1 through 6, he talked a lot about unity. Unity of the faith. He said there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. We're supposed to be growing together in that one faith. There is truth. There is one truth, one faith, one thing to be believed. And and it is his gospel, his word. And we are to grow up in that. And we need that in our day and time when there are so many competing uh, viewpoints out there. We need to know what the truth is. We'll get to that in a moment. Unity of the knowledge of the Son of God. There's one Lord. We're trying to grow into Christ, to grow into him who is our head, it says in verse 15 and following. To mature manhood. We want to become full-grown men. To the height, it says, to the measure of the height of the fullness of Christ. To be as mature as Christ is. That's the goal. To be like Christ in, in all that that means. That's where we're growing. That's what this is going to help happen, help us make happen here at First Presbyloxy and in the body of Christ completely and totally, universally. And then finally, just a note, speaking the truth in love. Uh, we are to grow and do that speaking the truth in love, it says in verse 15. Now some people like to speak the truth without love. You have people who are very passionate about you know, dotting your T's and... Wait, no, you don't dot your T's. Dotting your I's and crossing your T's. See, they would have got me on that. They, but they do it without love. And then there are certain people who want to love, but they're not so concerned about truth. And, and that just leads to all kinds of ambiguities and problems. These two have to be married together. He repeats it twice. Speaking the truth in love. We need to encourage with our words in love and love with the truth. Those two things have to go together. You could preach an entire sermon on that. I won't dwell on it any longer because we're running out of time. Because I want to get to this next one. We need to grow, of course, but we also need protection. I uh, was looking at a couple of websites with some had articles on issues and just reading the comments. And these were from a non-Christian perspective. And the vitriol that you read in the comments section of these articles on the Internet uh, against Christians and Christianity. Uh, it was amazing, and, and their, their viewpoint was so vastly different from mine, and I could not fathom how they came to, to believe such, such errors. I, it was hard for me to have understanding and patience with the viewpoints they were espousing. And I think it comes because people are like children. When you don't believe in truth, you don't even believe there's such thing as truth, then you're going to be tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, 
by craftiness and deceitful schemes. It's easy to be deceived in our day and time. We need to be uh, equipped with God's word so that we will know the truth. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, this one truth that we have is there for us. So when we gather together on Sunday mornings, we're doing so in order to grow and in order to, to be protected. And we need to exercise our gifts so that that can happen for the whole church. It's not just for ourselves, but we're serving the entire church. Paul uh, encouraged Timothy, in fact exhorted Timothy, with these words, which I'll conclude with. Paul said, I charge you, Timothy, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. That's exactly what's happened in our day and time. People have wandered off into myths and have gathered around them people who will tell them what they want to hear. And it, is, and it has happened to the ruin of our culture and society in which we live through the whole world. Thankfully, the Lord has promised to build his church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. He's going to build this thing. He's going to do it. And he's going to use us to do so. And what a great gift the Lord has given us in his church. So when you attend church, Sunday school, Bible studies, understand that these are opportunities for you to grow so that you can serve and use your gift in the service for the building up of the body of Christ. Let's pray together.